was always a paradise, far from civilization and war. 200 years ago, two friends set out on an impossible voyage. Tahiti, Fletcher, I want you to sail with me again. They made a journey through hell and arrived at this perfect place only to become mortal enemies. Their names were Fletcher Christian and William Bly. Their ship was the Bounty. Squirt away! He was a sailor of brilliance. In my opinion, we should put a bow. In my opinion, we should not, sir. We keep on our course. At 22, he was at an age when bravery came easily. I'm replacing Mr. Fryer with Mr. Christian. A paradise seduced him, and his passion would change his life forever. I think your brain has been overheated, sir. Your body overindulged in sexual excess. I have done no more than any natural man would do. There'll be no more mixing with the damned degenerate natures of these islands. You comprehend my meaning, sir? God! Men might be in charge. What do you threaten me with? Hello and welcome to the Film Club. It's The Bounty, the 1984 film made by Roger Donaldson and starring Anthony Hopkins and Mel Gibson. It's based on the true story of the HMS Bounty, which suffered a mutiny led by Fletcher Christian against Lieutenant William Bly. Director Tim Hewitt joins me as usual. We'll be running our categories of the Argo Award for Most Inaccurate Scene, Best Scene, the Simon Baker Award for Best Performance and the Legacy Award. Coming up next month, it's a John Kennedy double bill on the 60th anniversary of his assassination. So it's 13 days and then JFK, Oliver Stone's masterpiece. But until then, I'm going to hand you over to Tim and I talking The Bounty. Tim Hewitt, welcome back to the film club. We actually uh, had rather a burst of creativity because last week we did killers of the flower moon now this is the bounty we were listeners going to do master and commander but actually look having watched the film again i i decided not to because it is based on a novel it is based on fictional events whilst it is impeccably done the uh, scenery the the ship the costume, the acting, it's fantastic. I have no complaints. Everything about it, wonderful film, one of my favourites, and it would have made a nice companion piece. There's no history to it, so there's a little bit of history, but it's not. It's really a fictional story, and so I, I just want to stick to films that cover real events, which The Bounty does. So Tim was very keen to do this. Tim, welcome. Hello, thank you for having me again. And... This was your choice. This was a film made in 1984. 
And I was looking at again, stars, I mean, five <laughs> legends of cinema, really. Absolutely. Oscar winners, uh, Anthony Hopkins, Daniel Day-Lewis, Laurence Olivier, Liam Neeson, and of course, the main man, Mel Gibson. And Edward Fox, you forgot. Well, was it, is he, would you say he's a, he's not on their level? Oh, no. I mean, he is pretty cool, though. Oh, yeah. I'm not saying I don't he's, like He's Edward the jackal. Fox. He is. He is. <laughs> but would you put him on the same level as, say... Well, I, I, I wouldn't necessarily put him on the same level, but I would include him in the cast list if I was saying, well, this film stars, you know, we're forgetting Dexter Fletcher and Neil Morrissey. Neil Morrissey, yes. <laughs> and Phil Daniels as well. Yes, Phil Daniels as well. That's yeah. uh I mean it really is a is a is a great cast. Uh, most, you know, the with the Liam Neesons and the even Daniel Day-Lewis and uh, the other guys obviously the supporting roles. They they this is before their big time. I mean Liam Neeson looks very young in it. And you'd think, yes, perfectly cast. He's going to be playing these roles for the for the rest of his life. And of course, <laughs> he goes on and does something like playing Oscar Schindler, which is so different, and it, which is a really great career path, I think. But, yeah, uh, and, yeah, and, and Michael the, Collins, of course, as well. We should and we Michael should, Collins, yeah. We should uh, maybe and do then, that. And then his late sudden burst in action films, you know, are really unlikely. I put that down to the Phantom Menace. I think that's where I think the seed was planted. But yeah, then then but the two great I mean it's a it's the the central performance of Anthony Hopkins I think is monumental and very much unrecognized. Not one award. I mean really? it's insane. So um, so just for the benefit of the listeners this is was made in 1984. I think it's a British film but a Kiwi director. Yeah, Roger Donaldson. And Mel Gibson's the only non-Brit in it really of of note yeah. although I should mention that there are appearances by some of the um, uh, Pacific Islanders as well mm -hmm. but they don't play significant roles yeah so 1984 made in 1984 it's actually I think the fourth version of this story on screen mm. yeah it's uh, two, is... two other films well there's the famous there are two uh, famous ones films. aren't there one with Errol Flynn playing the Gibson yeah. role and the other one with Marlon Brando mm. playing the Gibson role. Yes. So and this is Mutiny. this is based this is this is the story of the HMS Bounty that in 1787 there was a mutiny led by Fletcher Christian against Captain well actually that's a key point he's not a captain we should come to that but a mutiny against William Bly played by Anthony Hopkins and Fletcher Christian is played by Mel Gibson. Right. So it was actually, it was quite a big film at the time, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it was as in uh, big and budget. Yeah. I mean, uh, well, budget, I think it was 20 million. Yeah. Uh, the, 20 million. That's a lot of money for the time. Mm. Uh, and, and I guess that's not spent on the actor's fees. It's mainly spent on the ship. <laughs> You'd think, which, by the way, I believe is on display. Is it in Hong Kong, the, the actual ship that they used? Yes, you're right. Um, Absolutely. Which is still available. I mean, you can still go and see it. Well, it's um, interesting because ships like that were in today's prices around about that anyway. I mean, they, they were hugely hmm. advanced. You know, if you think of a 
modern day submarine or or yeah. um, or frigate or something like that the, mm. these these ships are hu- highly advanced technology so i i think good to think of it like that because yeah. actually that and that becomes a bit of a, a, a concern for the mutineers later but Indeed. yeah it's a fascinating story so and, just... and we should say this is the most they say the most historically accurate version of the telling very important to mention that so the the ship set sail the the plan was for the crew for Bly to lead his ship and the crew hms bounty around the cape horn which is just off the southern coast of south america argentina Mm -hmm. chile and to sail around i think we should we should just create a rule for the rest of this session that if you mention that the name of the cape you have to say it as anthony hopkins says it in the film well you'll be better at it than me go on oh so so the the object was to to sail around the horn the horn the horn <laughs> and then go to the um islands in pacific tahiti collect breadfruit which was a very useful food stuff to f- then take back to the west indies Mm-hmm. around the caribbean to plant that there and then you would have a foodstuff to be able to feed slaves who of course slaves slavery had not been abolished by uh, at that in 1787 and so that would then mean that britain could continue to feed african slaves relatively inexpensively that's the plot of the film well, that's the idea behind it. that. That those were his orders. Those yeah, his that orders. was his orders, and and he wanted the opening and a few scenes. Well, actually, we should explain for those of you listeners who haven't seen it. It's told in this technically in a series of flashbacks because Anthony Hopkins is brought before a panel, a hearing, led by the great Laurence Olivier, to explain how and why he lost the ship. Uh, the bounty to a bunch of mutineers. So he is reading from his diary, I believe, and also answering their questions. And then as we get to each topic, we flash back to the actual events, his point of view as to what happened. Um, and I think most people know, I mean, there's no point in any uh, us worrying about spoilers because most people mm-hmm. know it, the film came out in 84. The, yeah. There was a mutiny led by Fletcher Christian against William Bly. And William Bly was an interesting character. He came from pretty humble beginnings. Mm-hmm. And he had served on Captain Cook's uh, expedition to Australia. He was very experienced and he was appointed. He was a lieutenant and that proved to be a little bit of a problem because the Navy was very unwilling to promote him to captain which therefore would have enabled him to have uh, appoint um, more senior officers to his command, thereby reducing the likelihood of a mutiny. Also, he wouldn't get any Marines who could have protected him. And that's really the problem. Bly is presented by, well, Anthony Hopkins Bly. He's quite a stern, tough, Mm. old sea dog. I mean, life in the Royal Navy in the late, uh, well, I think life in the Royal Navy uh, (laughs) for about 250 years was not, was not fun and games. Um, Snowflakes wouldn't survive very long in the Royal Navy. And uh, Fletcher Christian and his crew, it's interesting. 
how Fletcher Christian and his fellow mutineers are slightly snowflakey in my belief. Uh, having watched that, I thought they were a bit pathetic and should have just manned up and dealt with the um, hand they were served. Yeah, well, I suppose the dealt. thing is, is that with Gibbs, with with Fletcher Christian's character, we need they needed a bit of a. I mean, you know, f- apart from the fact that it was historical fact that this happened means that was Fletcher Christian a bit of a snowflake or was there some flaw in his character? Was Bly as tough as they say he was? I think that they there was the other crew members of other ships since that happened would say that Bly was pretty tough. I think that... You know, it's very, very quickly established at the beginning of the film that Bly and Chris, uh, Fletcher Christian are very good friends. In fact, to the point where Bly almost doesn't even have to explain what they're going to do before he's finished explaining. Christian is like, "Yes, uh, I'm in," and yeah, and even Anthony Hopkins is kind of like, "Well, oh, great!" <laughs> he's a little bit surprised that it was that easy, you know. And they shake on it, and everything seems to be completely hunky dory. But I think, you know, they need, especially in the film, you need to see a little arc of a change of, like, him getting to Fletcher Christian. And, you know, it becomes unbearable, especially with his behaviour in the in uh, Tahiti with the women and the tattoo. And, and it's slowly, you know, it's kind of like grating at him bit by the bit. For the first 40-odd minutes, they're, they're getting on very well. Yeah, everything's fine. Even when um, they attempt to cross the horn. Across the horn. That's so true because, you know, uh, Daniel Day Lewis's character, Mr. Fryer. Um, Fryer, Mr. Fryer, sir, come back here. <laughs> there is liberal <laughs> use of gr- wonderful 18th century phrases like damn your eyes. Yes. Um, and your height. It's, 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 you know, because Daniel Day Lewis basically objects to continuing and demands that they turn back. And so he he demotes him and promotes Fletcher Christian, which even further solidifies their friendship, which is, you know, so you think this is they, these guys. And, but, you know, of course, from the hearing with Laurence Olivier and Edward Fox, that they keep talking about that the mutin, the mutiny was led by Fletcher Christian. So you're like you're thinking, how on earth did this go wrong? Laurence Olivier, of course, plays Admiral Hood, mm-hmm. one of the Navy's greatest ever admirals. Also, coincidentally, my ancestor. Yes, yes. Looks like you, actually. In fact, can I, just a quick parenthesis here, maybe listeners in any comments, do, do, can listeners put comments in any They can email history at aspectsofhistory.com or they can get hold of me via the Twitter or oh, X, yes. as it's um, now Well, called. maybe some historians listening will, or I don't know whether it's anything to do with history, maybe it's just Hollywood, uh, even though this isn't necessarily a Hollywood film. But one thing that I, I've always picked up on and questioned is why, and you've said the word already, in fact, in this podcast, but why Laurence Olivier, admiral in the Navy, stroke great British a- actor of old, calls Bly lieutenant. And he doesn't say lieutenant, he says lieutenant. Now that's a good question. So I wonder whether that was, in fact, Old English that we've changed since and the Americans kept it going, which they do, by the way, as we know, the, uh, the word period in American means the end or full stop. Um, and in Old English, period meant the end of something as opposed to a continuing series, which the Americans have kept and we've decided to discard. Well, we've evolved. 
Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's up to us to decide whether we evolve our language and how we do. No, I'm, I'm sorry, Americans. I'm only listening. making fun here. Um, I'm, I'm determined yeah. not to chase away American listeners because absolutely not. Well, I've in done fact, that with my French so, listeners. So that the, the, maybe the American listeners, um, or or and or English listeners, or anyone who knows, could actually say maybe tell us why why Lawrence Olivier says lieutenant. That was a little tangent. So what were we saying? Uh, the horn. The horn. And falling yes. at the, the arc from how at one point they are very close or, or close is probably a bit too much, but friends. And mm. when they attempt to cross the horn mm-hmm. to get to take, basically take a shortcut to the uh, islands in the Pacific, the South mm-hmm. Pacific. And that is, uh, that's, that's a disaster. And uh, one thing I actually, I wanted to call out on that is that it's in, implied that it was Captain Bly or Lieutenant Bly's sort of obduracy and obsession with circumnavigating the globe, which yeah. drove his navigation of the horn. But I think actually th- that was in his orders uh, to, to attempt to, um, yeah, the, I mean, the thing is, is is later in the film, well, I don't know whether it's a hint that he has become obsessed with that notion, you know, irrespective of orders, because of the way, you know, in the in the famous, <laughs> very quotable uh, section of the film where he's essentially taunting Fletcher Christian, where Fletcher Christian comes in and quite nobly says, listen, William, he calls him, oh, William, is it? You know the the men are, uh, there's a, they're having it they've got a problem and and they may not take this much more and he's like is that a threat and then he says and he sort of like squints and looks into Fletcher Christian's face and is like are you a coward Mister F- Mister Christian will you want to go around the hall are you scared to go around the and it's kind of like well okay now you're not being so much a leader as a you're just <laughs> being plain <laughs> nasty. You know, you, you don't say to a subordinate, are you a coward in a, in a kind of a ha 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 laugh. But it's quite interesting evil. looking back at that because we're very much obviously looking back at that late 20th century eyes. That's when mm. it was made. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even then, which was, I, I don't know, we were both at a boarding school then, I think. Uh, I uh, was, not quite. I was. And, but even, even, even then, Looking back at a a time when life on on board a ship was harsh, mm. it's it presents the mutineers or, or gives them you know because there are a lot of punishments. They do a lot of uh, mm. Bly liked his crew to dance on board to keep mm. spirits up and to keep and he would he would be quite harsh with punishments. He beats a he whips a prison uh, a a member of his crew at one point. Because Friar, the Daniel Day Lewis character, demands it, he is altogether quite a harsh taskmaster. So that I, I think, what I'm trying to say is that gives the viewer the there's a reason, there's a good reason why they mutinied. I mean, as the Board of Inquiry shows at the end of the film, he's exonerated from any kind of blame. Well, Life I mean, it becomes in the Royal Navy was hard if you didn't like it. Yeah, it was it. harsh, but it became uh, the thing is, is I guess it becomes obscene what he's you know even things like filth filth mr christian and he takes you know literally just touches the ball with his finger and sticks his finger in fletcher christian's face and is like filth and it's like well you know there's being strict and and making sure everyone's 
in order and in their place. And then there's just well, I'm glad you said that because I'm on Bly, I'm on Bly's <laughs> side here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously the the shit was a complete state, and he's he's <laughs> attention to detail very important. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, I, I I see your point. And I mean, the, if, you, and if it was... you let things like that go, uh, the mm. whole thing will collapse into and, mutiny. And and you know, this is the argument, then, but a good argument. This is why Britain had such an empire. Because you don't win, you don't conquer other countries by, by having by a dirty messing death. about and having a dirty having a dirty boat. You know. Also, it's... we should mention. You know, I think the main reason why they mutinied, at least watching mm-hmm. it back, being a little bit more cynical, is they appear in Tahiti and these other islands. Yeah, and they find all these women who are mm. throwing themselves on them. They're oversexed. They want and in and in such stunning locations. Exactly. Um, you know, I wouldn't want personally. I wouldn't want to go back to Southampton. <laughs> <laughs> Is Tahiti Southampton? Mm, I'm pretty sure which to, uh, what I'd decide. And then, of course, we get on to, I mean, the actual mutiny. Which is, you know, it's pretty dramatic stuff. We have Mel Gibson doing a lot of shouting. I mean, he he sort of flips, really, doesn't he? Yeah, um, and the moment the that happens, is, the moment sorry? that happens, yeah, and all the mutineers, you know, they've made their clear dividing line, and you've mm. got the officers and a few other crew. Uh, mm. Most of the officers and a few other crew are dumped in a rowing boat. The rest, the mutineers, I mean, that's a recipe for disaster because once that breakdown and discipline occurs, that's mm. it. And the thing is, is that the 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 you you don't see the mutiny simply as you know this is except for maybe from the point of view of fletcher christian but the others you know like this is obscene what bly is doing and it's unfair but as soon as the mutiny happens you know the the complete uh, irresponsible complete animalistic features uh, completely come out from all the uh, all of these characters and you know then they're anything but officers they are just riffraff you know it's complete disorder and it's it's like brawls and you know they taunt and just and it's nothing to do with that was unfair and you're not you're not being just you know at least be it's just complete law disorder neil morrissey's very good playing a kind of rebellious member of the crew he's really really good in it actually yeah he is they're they're actually they're really really dislikable yeah as soon as the first moment where Liam Neeson's like, you're in my place. And he's like, piss off. <laughs> it's like, you know, this is going to be not, this isn't good. This isn't like, these aren't very nice people. <laughs> and of course, but the thing is, is that the, when the mutiny happens and they're cast, sh- you know, into the little boat, you know, that's where Bly really proves he's a, an astonishing office, naval officer, sailor. Yeah. I mean, the, the memory, navigational basically. achievement to get them out of there alive. Yeah. Yeah. And his stamina is insane. And he gives um, up his food to one of the starving yeah. men. And then when he reaches the shore, you know, he still tries to maintain the stance of an officer, like his walk. He doesn't want to fall over. It's he like pushes uns- a man off who tries to help yeah. him. Yeah. I mean, you know, so that when it, you know, when it, that section of the film comes up, that's when you do actually think, Actually, you know, he's he was a pretty amazing guy. Bly was, as I mentioned before, he was exonerated. He later mm. 
became governor of New South Wales and was promoted to vice admiral, I think, which is a senior post in the Navy. I think he did actually suffer another mutiny. Yes, I can't. What's the which uh, was that in Australia? It was. It was. It was. He must have felt pretty cursed. But I, I wonder if the second mutiny, you know, it only happened because of the first. Yeah, maybe. But having the first mutiny. He had that reputation. Oh, this yeah. guy's easy to... <laughs> now, so what do we think about Fletcher Christian's fate? Because, of course, there's a lot of debate as to what actually happened. I think the rumours... Yeah, I mean, there are rumours, and in the, and in the film, they, they have a little card at the end mm. which says, you know, maybe he moved back to England, um, implication being he lived happily ever after. I think he was murdered by one of his um, companions on yeah. Pitcairn Island, and his descendants he... do live there today. That's quite, yeah. uh, that's all very true. So I don't have a particularly romantic view of Fletch Christian. Um, do you? No, I, well, well, I mean, there's nothing to base it. I can't. I, uh, listeners may may know a bit well a lot more about it than than me but and they may give pointers as to well this there is substantiated evidence that he got off somehow a, a few of the mutineers were i think i, I think when a, a royal naval vessel royal navy vessel returned they did find one of the mutineers still alive and he had stated that that you know, basically death through disease or murder. But we should go to our move to our uh, our categories. Yes. So we'll we'll start with best scene. I mean, the film is so quotable. It's the, I find the scenes when they're in cabins arguing and blind. Yes, I mean, I agree. I think I think uh, I, I mean, I would put put um, are you a coward, Mr. Christian? I'd put that up there as one of the best scenes. I mean, I suppose the actual when the mutiny happens. I mean, there are all sorts. Of, it is so quotable. We forget we keep we do say, you know, it's um, Anthony Hopkins is so quotable. But I do think Gibson has I mean, I. I, I love the way at the beginning when they meet and Hopkins tells Gibson, you know, this is what we're going to do. We're going to take breadfruit from here to here. Um, we're going to go to Agnaldi at the Globe and I want to make a name for myself. And he goes, and you think this mission will make your name? And, it, <laughs> you know, it's Gibson doing an English, posh English, which is, he does very well, actually. Even when he, he when he says, someone's stolen my coconuts and Gibson admits, he goes, I took one of your coconuts. And it's, he's, He's just I thought very... it was of no consequence. Yes. <laughs> because um, Fletcher Christian was from, I think, quite a wealthy Isle of Man family. Oh, right. Oh, there we go. Yes. Uh, Bly was from, I think, born in uh, West Country, wasn't he? Yes, he was. Well, okay. So, best scene. I, I also uh, like the scene where he screams at, it's, it's when they're going through the, the horn. And he screams at Daniel Day Lewis. Yes, character. brilliant. Yeah, it's a great scene, but I don't think that actually happened. Mr. Fryer, come back here. That one. Mm. Yeah. That, and um, you liberal use of damn your eyes. And you turned your back on me. That one. And Daniel Day Lewis really is perfectly cast as that obnoxious, really obnoxious senior officer. 
You know, when they're dancing, is the oh, it reminds me of school sometimes. Actually, he reminded um, me of the sort of person that you and I would have known at school. Yeah, like um, get your legs up, and it's like uh, I'm not done. Don't answer back. You know, you're like, man, you're annoying. <laughs> but he does that so well. So, well, I don't know. What do you think? And this is 1984 as well. So mm. um, Mel Gibson does Lethal Weapon the next year, doesn't he? A couple of years later, I think. Okay. I mean, he gets top billing in this actually over Anthony Hopkins, and I wouldn't. I would say he'd he hadn't become a superstar yet. He he'd done obviously the two Mad Maxes, Gallipoli, which we've talked about here, the year of Living Dangerously, but. I think Lethal Weapon was just around the corner. Yeah, it was 1987. In fact, I think he had Mad Max 3 to do between this and Lethal Weapon. But I think Anthony, I, I would say, I would probably go with either the, that scene that we just talked about or or where he's taunting. Yeah, I agree, the taunting, the taunting. I think that's it's just the two great two great actors in a room. Yeah, one yeah. one actually it's interesting because Anthony Hopkins' career was I don't want to say stalled, but it wasn't really going anywhere. No, I mean Elephant Man. Yeah, yeah, he'd but done that, the, he'd done the Elephant Man. Um, that was what eighty one. Yeah, he'd done Bridge uh, Too Far. A Bridge Too Far, which is your favorite film of all time. Well, not quite. He'd done the the the, the great. The Great Ventriloquist. Oh, I haven't seen that. Brilliant film. He, he's oh. very good in it. There's a very good John le Carre film, The Looking Glass War. He's very oh, good yes. in that. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, the film that really took him off was was obviously Silence of the Lambs, which is not until 1990. Yeah, so, it, but the thing is, he'd been, uh, you know, a, a successful actor. He just hadn't been a, a star. So I think that he was he was unrecognised for this film. Um, I would had it been post Silence of the Lambs, he would have got an Oscar nomination for this. I think, without a doubt. Yeah, you're absolutely right. He's so good. I mean, you know, he he's never bad. He up until you know recently, the father. He was he's amazing performance, um, and he makes it look so easy. Uh, he's one of those actors that it just looks so effortless. Well, it was a and flop, then, the film, though. I mean, he didn't do that It's well. very odd. Yeah, really odd. And he didn't get any awards. Nothing. No. I mean, if we look, the Oscars were in 1984. Because, you know, part of the fun of doing this podcast is just seeing who, mm. what was popular at the time and whether it stood the test of time. So, so the best film in... 1985 which is i think for the films that were the mm -hmm. previous year which this would have yes. included in uh best film was amadeus quite good the killing fields was nominated mm -hmm. very good film obviously passage to india uh-huh places in the heart sally field oh uh, yeah mm. not seen it <laughs> not not uh, i mean it's got a good not, cast it's got danny glover but... and john malkovich mm -hmm. ed harris uh-huh and, uh, and Sally feels good. Yes. And then A Soldier's Story, which, again, I've not seen. I haven't seen that. But, I mean, The Bounty, I think, would have, I don't know, maybe it was the year. I definitely think Anthony Hopkins would have got nominated. Well, the best yeah. actors from that year were nominated Sam Waterston for The Killing Fields. Oh, for The Killing Fields, yeah. That's great. That's a great film, actually. It's a really yeah. great film. yeah. Um, Tom Hulse for Amadeus. Yep, and and F. Murray Abraham, who won. 
Yes, but I was building Amadeus. up to that. You yeah. ruined. You, you took my sorry, thunder. sorry, sorry, <laughs> sorry. Terrible, sorry. Um, Albert Finney <laughs> for Under the Volcano and Jeff Bridges for Starman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, okay. Now that's right. Right there, I would argue that Anthony Hopkins should have been nominated over Jeff Bridges. Starman's fun and he's good in it, but not Oscar worthy. I'd agree. So there. Yeah. Sorted. Okay. Well, that. Uh, well, let's talk about. Well, I think we kind of answered our next category, which is best <laughs> performance. Yeah. And I think we're both going to go William uh, Bly's by uh, Anthony Hopkins' portrayal of William Bly's just brilliant. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Sort of madness, you know, kind of a descent into, well, I guess, a kind of madness, but justified in a way because he was super. I mean, imagine, imagine when they they actually say uh, in the hearing. I think he goes, "Well, how long did you try to go round the horn?" And he says like 31 days. It's like a month. Yeah. That's that would drive me mad. <laughs> In those weather conditions. I, I think after crazy. a couple of days I'd be like, uh you know what? Let's get out of here. Yeah, I mean it's just in a month. <laughs> Come on. Uh which shows, you know, that stamina and uh, yeah, you know, amazing level-headedness. Yeah, exactly. Okay, um, so um mm-hmm. uh, a little shout out for Admiral Hood. Laurence Olivier. Sure. I love that that my ancestor is played by the greatest actor of the age. Yes, absolutely. I can uh, right. agree. Uh, <laughs> most inaccurate scene. Actually, I think it is the horn where they're implying that it Bly's, it's Bly's sort of um, idea to go around the horn. And I'm um, mm. in doing the research for this, it was his orders were to uh, it's obviously a shortcut and saves the royal navy a lot of money by doing that and that's the why they wanted him to go around the horn but they in the film it is implied or it is shown to be bly's just complete um obduracy to to mm-hmm. um, stubbornness so you think that's the most unlikely scene it's the most inaccurate inaccurate sorry okay yeah I mean, I think the I think I, I didn't really like the card at the end where it suggests that Fletcher Christian, you know, somehow got back to England. No, but I think in any sort of any docu- historical documentation, it does that. You know, there is that that there's a theory at least. Yeah. Or I mean, the th- I guess it's because nobody knows. So also, do you think partly this guy's played by Mel Gibson? We don't want to show that he ended in uh, horrible. Well, no, that's probably true, actually. Because it, it sort of ends, I think, with him just looking out to sea at the burning. Yeah, having just burnt this hugely yeah. valuable, yeah. highly developed piece of military equipment. Mm. And the thing is, is you know, he is the, you know, I, I I would argue the best, one of the best looking actors at that time. They don't want to make it. You know, he's got to be, live happily every, or at least on screen, he's got to be alive. Uh, so I don't know. He could have. I doubt it. I, d- I mean, how is he going to get? How does he get home? Yeah, exactly. How would he get back to England? Thumbs a lift. I mean, it's <laughs> a passing frigate. He's got to um, hope that it's not a, a British vessel as well. He's got to hope it's a. Yeah, and, that's and, true. And by then, you know, it depends how long after, because of course the mutiny was hu- was a very famous story at the time mm. so absolutely it, yeah so you know oh uh, uh, hi my name is um i don't know christian fletcher <laughs> yeah and i'm trying to get back to you couldn't give me a lift to london could you <laughs> yeah 
Well, okay, fine then. Then then your most unlikely scene. You know, well, I think I think it's morphed into un- unlikely. It should be inaccurate, really. So, oh, by the way, you forgot to mention just very quickly that it's uh, Anthony Hopkins has won the Simon Baker Award. Yes, the Simon Baker Award. Thank you very much for reminding me. Side the Simon Baker Award. There's a huge <laughs> Australian uh, flavor to all our nominations and uh, all our film mm. club films. Uh, but yes, the Simon Baker Award. The best scene? Did we? Did we get? Did we get sponsorship? Uh, we, we had the Argo Award for most un- most inaccurate. inaccurate scene. Yeah, best scene was is in the cabin. Yeah, so but that's best scene. Um, I don't think we've had a scene yet that's so blown us away that we need to therefore name the scene after it. No, maybe not. Whereas Simon B- Baker's performance so blew us away. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I'm I'm laughing. I'm I actually it did. So if Simon no, Baker's listening, amazing. we're not taking the piss in any way. No. Looking very excited about his new film. Yes. Yeah. Really good. The no. Most inaccurate scenes. So the Argo Award for most inaccurate scene is is Cape Horn. I think. Mm-hmm. Even though it's also a great scene. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, and really then, ter- terrifying, you know. I mean, it was great. Yeah. What about and uh, what's the what go on, you're gonna say Legacy, we've got legacy. I think it's pretty it's got a good I mean, this is stands up this film. It's it's quite in terms of navy films. <laughs> oh yeah, I think it's hugely influential on Master hmm. and Commander, which I mean I I don't think you're as into Master and Commander as I am. Perhaps not. I mean I I don't I don't know in detail how how much you are into Master and Commander, but it's I think it's a great film. It's by the great Peter Weir, who's never yeah. I said I think I've mentioned when we did Gallipoli, he's never made a bad film. Most of his films actually are great films. It's a bit heavy on the Russell Crowe star i do know what side you mean. of things but you know that's a nitpicking uh, but it's still a great film there's a card that comes up at the beginning of master and commander it lays out for the viewer who obviously very few people are familiar with that particular period of history pre trafalgar yeah. and it's just wonderful and the moment i saw that i was like oh this is going to be great april 1805 napoleon is master of europe only the British fleet stands before him. Oceans are now battlefields. That's just great. <laughs> Which actually, I don't know if this segues into to a suggestion I think I made that, um, of course, we've got a Ridley Scott's new film coming called Napoleon, starring Joaquin Phoenix, which, you know, wouldn't be yeah, uh, I think we'll, we'll entirely to... inappropriate not to do. No, no, I think that's out in November and we do have a busy November with both 13 days and JFK. That's true. Well, I mean, we could do... We can do it for December. I'm going to try and... um, I'll probably have to return Ridley's calls. He's been um, trying to get hold of me. (laughs) Sure. I mean, it it, it would be... It's it's an important, I think, milestone in cinema history because, of course, the famous attempt at a Napoleon film was the great Stanley Kubrick, who had written the script researched researched so in so much detail that allegedly i mean i I can believe this to be true because he was such a perfectionist allegedly had researched napoleon so much that he had had you know little cards you can get those those white kind of card note cards and he'd made a filing system that every card was every single day that napoleon was alive and on each card was 
he knew exactly what he was doing that day. And I've read the Stanley Kubrick script of Napoleon. It's a tricky read. No doubt it would have been a great film, but he, you know, designed the whole film. Pre-production was underway. And then unfortunately, the film with Rod Steiger came out, Waterloo. And the financiers pulled the plug because it didn't perform very well. And everyone thought, well, no one wants to see a film about Napoleon. So he went and made Barry Lyndon instead, which is an amazing film. So, good. so I think Napoleon's quite important. Uh, yeah, ab- no, I agree. Uh, it, I'm not massively hopeful for two reasons. The trailer wasn't wildly impressed by. And also, I'm not sure that Joaquin, well, he certainly doesn't <laughs> look like him. Um, no, and, and the thing is, is, you know, he's he's an American. <laughs> and I and I think in this day and age, you know, we we need to get to grips with, come on, get speak the real language. Could have got Matthew Kasovitz. Yes, exactly. Good point. Or right. any French actor. <laughs> right, Tim. Well, that, that, so that should be for listeners. That should excite you. We've got next in November. It's the fifth, sixtieth, sixtieth, yeah, sixtieth anniversary of the assassination of JFK. So to commemorate Kennedy, we are showing a double. We are showing. We are. <laughs> we're going to do a double bill on the film club. It's a Kevin Costner. Kennedy Lovathon. He he clearly <laughs> loves JFK. Yeah. It is thirteen days, and then Oliver Stone's JFK. Uh, yeah. Thirteen days, directed by the same director as The Bounty. Absolutely, Ollie. But we're both extremely big fans of these films, regardless of of you know what one argues as historical accuracy oh, we're gonna so get on to the JFK but it's gonna be yeah it's gonna be great um i'm actually currently re-watching oliver stone's documentary four-part documentary jfk destiny betrayed which i'm finding it i've thought was great yeah so so jfk is a big big film for me because i saw it in the cinema when I, when it first came out and um just a remarkable piece of filmmaking wonderful stuff so listeners you got that to look forward to thank you very much for listening tim thank you thank you so much for having me Thank you for listening. Please do subscribe, rate and review and do share. Coming up on Thursday, it's a bonus of the 20th century history of Israel and Palestine. But until then, thank you and good night. <laughs>